Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today is Monday, April 6th. Today we're dropping two podcasts. First, Slam Dunk. Meet Dr. Stephanie Lamb. Stephanie's an amazing OBGYN who works with me at Maternal Fetal Medicine Associates out of our new site on 94th Street, Carnegie Women's Health. In this episode, we discuss Stephanie's path from volunteering as a candy striper to medical school and beyond, why being a people person is important in her role, and how she tries to create a memorable and comfortable experience for first-time patients. The second podcast today is Lockdown, Everyone's at Home, with renowned school psychologist and my wife, Dr. Michal Agus-Fox. In this episode, we discuss parenting during the COVID-19 pandemic, how to help children cope with new emotions, maintaining learning environments for children at home, and our dogs. On Thursday, we'll be dropping another podcast with Dr. Stephanie Lamb called Don't Fear the Pap Smear. If you didn't get a chance yet to listen to our two corona-related podcasts from last week, definitely check those out. One was with author and and economist Dr. Emily Oster, and the other was with Dr. Angela Bianco, the Medical Director of Labor and Delivery at Mount Sinai. Moving forward, you should expect a podcast or two every Monday and Thursday. Have a great day. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Welcome to Healthful Woman. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Stephanie Lamb. Stephanie, welcome. How you doing? I'm doing great. This is exciting. This is exciting for me too. It's so nice to sit down and uh, and talk with you. Let's do it. Fantastic. So Stephanie, you are a doctor at Maternal Field Medicine Associates, but you're now primarily located at the 94th Street office at Carnegie Women's Health. Yes? Yes. And how's that been going so far? It's been amazing. We just opened doors here within the last couple months. It's like our baby had a baby. It's a great way of providing really incredible GYN care. We do a little bit of everything, but I think the thought process was really trying to get to women, not just our pregnant patients, but really bring in young women, older patients, and trying to kind of explore and expand what we had offered at MFM before. At MFM Associates, there is full service care, but probably the majority of the patients who come through, if not the great majority are either pregnant or about to be pregnant or were just pregnant. And the office here is really an opportunity for full life women's care from when someone's a teenager all the way through in their 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever it is, and more focusing on women's health and gynecology And that's where you are now currently, yes? Yes. So we started Dr. Gottlieb, Aaron, myself, and Dr. Michael Silverstein moved over here. And our goal would be to really expand the care that MFM had. So you're right. We did have all of these patients. We had GYN patients that we had seen before. We had dedicated a lot of time to some pregnant patients. And we were a big referral for a lot of other groups. But a lot of patients that were there thought, we, we get pregnant and then we can move on. And the thought was... No, we want you to stay with us. We want we want to take care of you and your kids and cousins. And it's been great so far. The doors have been open about like six to eight weeks and we're busy. We're really busy. Right. It's wonderful. Now the space is gorgeous. And we're actually podcasting from that space right now. I said we want to be in the best place that we have. And it's really beautiful here. It's 
just magnificent and it's welcoming and it's open and it's there's a lot of sunlight. It's really nice here. It's bright. I have to say the aesthetics behind it, it's a calm environment. You walk in, the front desk people are really welcoming. You feel like you enjoy going to the doctor's office, which you can't say about many places that you actually go to the doctor's office. You walk in, it has a great vibe. The thought is, is that you shouldn't have to wait for your appointment, that we run really on time. We offer Monday through Friday care. We're here at eight in the morning and we're here till five at night. It's really a special place. Unlike most places, I've worked over the last 20 years. Right. And one of the the really nice things, Stephanie won't say because she's modest, is the three physicians who are here, her and Aaron Gottlieb and Mike Silverstein, are three of the nicest, warmest, most inviting people uh, you could ever run into personally, but obviously as physicians as well, which is important because you know most people hate going to doctor and mm-hmm. women don't want to go to the gynecologist. And to go to someone who you really trust and you really like, and it's just going to greet you with a smile and it's going to be as pleasant an experience as possible is important. It's not just the aesthetics of the so office, important. but the people who are who are taking care of you. It's critical. It's everything. I still remember my first gynecologist experience. Was young. I didn't know who to go to, obviously. And you go to the person that your mom recommends because that's the person that you turn to. And it was this older, no offense to anyone older who's practicing medicine, fuddy-duddy. I didn't like his bedside manner. I didn't think he was warm. And he was fine. He was super smart and he was a lovely man. But I remember when I finally decided to go into medicine and I wanted to go to women's health, I thought I wanted want to be patient and kind and empathetic and I want to listen and I really wanted to make a good experience. And so for me, I really do like the young girls. I like capturing those young patients when they come in and making it a memorable, not a really free, like you don't want to be scared. It should be really be an okay experience. And it's important, not just for the experience itself, but moving forward, if someone has a bad experience the first time they go to the doctor, they may not come back and you may end up missing things or not bringing stuff up to the doctor because either you're embarrassed or because you don't feel comfortable talking about it with her or him. And that first visit is so critical in terms of what your relationship is going to be with doctors throughout your lifetime. I agree. It can't be overstated how important that is. As a gynecologist, I think women in general will see their gynecologist more than any other doctor in their young life. So if they, except their pediatrician, maybe up until the age 18 when they have to go see their pediatrician, we as gynecologists, Gynecologists get called from everything from primary care issues, emotional issues. Someone will call, you know, we're as much of a therapist as we are a primary care doctor. And I think we are the gateway of how you experience and how you feel about going to other doctors because we're really it. We're the first ones. Many people don't go to a doctor, they'll go to City MD, but they love their gynecologist and they should. So I do think that the three of us here, and MFM offers always the best care. I was so proud when I first walked in the door there. I thought, this is a special place and you guys give great care. But the three of us here, I think we really try and our goal and our thing for the future would be taking care of all the patients. And I think we are pretty kind. Thank you. I I appreciate that. Some people will start when they get pregnant and they see sort of an obstetrician gynecologist. And then after they deliver, they realize, wait, I need to see somebody and maybe I'll see the same person. And some people start first with a gynecologist and having that very close affiliation that we're the same group between MFM Associates and Carnegie Women's Health, it's really a great seamless process. And some of the pregnant patients are in this office and some of the gynecology patients are in that office. And obviously people throughout their lifetimes may go back and forth based on what's going on in their lives and the same with imaging and procedures. And it's allowed our practice to have a greater presence with general gynecology and women's health, which is so important. I think where the practice and where the group had started 10 plus years ago when you guys had this vision for MFM Associates and where it's kind of evolving into, I think is so forward thinking. When I started 20 years ago, 
I worked in a hospital-based practice, and we did both OB and GYN. There was four of us, and I loved where I worked, and I was there 15 years. And then you try to think of where do I want to go next. This was an unexpected opportunity. I was doing OB and GYN, and now get to see OB and GYN patients. But what I think the next 10 or 15 years hopefully could be for all of us here is that we're we're kind of all married. It's one it's one big family to some degree, even though the offices may be a little different, but the vision is the same. If a patient isn't feeling well as a gynecology patient. I can call, get a sonogram at the 90th Street location or 32nd. The radiologists, you guys as MFMs can read the reports, get back to us. Within hours, within a time period of minutes, the patients really get taken care of. Whether they come through the door as just a gynecologist to start or whether they started as pregnant and then continued as gynecology, they're excited. They're they're excited to be able to stay, which I don't think they all realized they could. And that was the long-term goal. And some of the times they just couldn't logistically because it was so busy, it was hard to get appointments. And now having a dedicated space and three physicians who are full-time doing this, it really does oh, yeah. open up opportunities for patients, even those who knew they could, in theory, stay, but didn't have an opportunity. And now they do. Oh, and yeah. that's been fantastic. They walk in the door here and they're like, ooh, I didn't realize this existed. Well, it didn't always exist. It kind of just started. And they can come, like I said, for add-on emergencies, like you said, add-on emergency visits, we'll find a spot for you. Whether you're postpartum and you have a mastitis or an emergency, whether you're pregnant and you need a quick heartbeat check because you're anxious, we can kind of do a little bit of everything. But the goal is really that full care from the time that you are a teenager and hopefully can carry you through you know, to your 60s, 70s, and 80s. And that can include family members. It's it's really, it's it's a great vision. It's been great. What not everyone necessarily realizes is that in our training, we train both as obstetricians and gynecologists, mm-hmm. meaning everyone who does prenatal care and is an obstetrician has training in gynecology. And on the flip side, everyone who does gynecology has training in pregnancy care and obstetrics. So the gynecologist here, as like you said, can see a pregnant Correct. postpartum patient and vice versa. The obstetricians can't see gynecology patients is just an opportunity uh, to give people maybe more dedicated space to what Correct. they're looking for. Now, when you said before about getting into medicine, what was it that drove you to go into medicine originally? You know, I remember being in high school and I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I was looking to do some volunteer work as all of us in high school start to think about. And I grew up on Long Island and not far from North Shore Hospital. Friends of my parents, I had no doctor family members ever. So never knew anything about it. No nurses. So you're the first doctor in your family. I was the first doctor in my family. Yep. It's big. It's big. And so when I was looking for an, an opportunity, a friend of my parents said, well, why don't you volunteer at North Shore? They were looking for what they called candy stripers back in the day. You wore those pink and white striped outfits. Not super flattering, but you wore them. So my mom was like, great, great idea. Let's go. And I volunteered in a pediatric ward at the time. I remember still walking in that that floor that day and it, it hit me and I knew I wanted to work in healthcare. It was better than anything I'd ever done. So I started volunteering and I stuck through it through high school, went to college and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in healthcare, but I knew it was something I was interested in. My dad, I think was hesitant. If I said I wanted to be a doctor, he thought it was too big of a commitment. Like he thought old school, a little Italian in mentality, like maybe you should be a nurse, maybe a physical therapist. And my mom was really the one who said, heck no, you should, if you want to be a doctor, you should be a doctor. Was it in general his hesitation or because you were a woman? I think it was in general hesitation because he knew how much of a commitment and how you're really dedicating your whole life. Like you, when you're a doctor, you really think about your patients 
when you're not here. It's something that follows you through on the weekends. So I think he was nervous of how much of a commitment because he knew I also one day would want to be a mom and a wife. It's great that your mom pushed you. It really was because my mom was a stay-at-home mom, interestingly enough. I remember she worked for Getty Oil. She had a great job. But when she was a mom, she was a full-time mom. She was on the PTA. She drove us to sports. But she knew she wanted her daughter to always have an independent career and knew that a woman could be a mom, a wife, and have a full-time career. So I really credit her with when I went to go into healthcare that she pushed me to be a doctor. So in college, I volunteered again at the hospital, and I knew I liked it, and I applied, and I got in. And then I thought pediatrics because that's what I knew. It's what I loved. And then I did my first OBGYN rotation. And I remember thinking, wow, I could do this. This is really women's health care was so interesting. It was what I love to read about. All of us who, who do this for a living sort of know that, had that aha moment. And it's usually right away. And the first time you do an OBGYN rotation, within a day or two, you're like, this is what I'm going to do. And you know, some of us always go back and forth, but the majority of people in our field you speak to will say, I knew right away, this is what I wanted to do. It's exciting. You go from place to place. Most of the experiences are positive, but even those that aren't, when things don't go right, it's very intense emotionally. Oh, sure. And to have these relationships with people is is very strong and very rewarding to us as physicians. What I do on a day-to-day basis now maybe has changed a little over the last couple of years, you know, as your career changes and you change a little bit in who you are as a doctor. But I went into being a women's health advocate, being an OBGYN. I still remember being like, this is primary care. I can still learn all the medicine and high blood pressure and diabetes and all the things that I loved. I remember talking to women in that little bit of uh, being a therapist and getting to talk to them loved the young girls all the way to the old people. It just kind of was so broad spectrum. And I knew I would never be bored any single day. Like it felt different every day. And I wanted to be doing something that I was excited about. And I just remember reading in med school, all of the classes. And when you do your clinical stuff, and it it was that aha moment. And it still is. Like I still enjoy the things that I do because every day is a little different. Part of it is also your own nature, your own personality. One of your great strengths is your ability to connect to people that just sort of right away, you connect to them, they connect to you. And the type of medicine that attracts people like you is ones where you need those relationships with the patients. If you're a trauma surgeon and all, all you're just coming in and someone's already, they're already anesthetized they're critical, and you're operating right, you're them right. and then you leave and you may never see them again, that requires a, a very unique set of skills, which is critical and life-saving. Mm-hmm. But if you're sort of that people person, it's so important, like you said, the first visit, developing trust that they can see you the rest of their lives or with pregnancy. And that's one of your tremendous strengths and because you just have that way with people that you just have that you have that ability to just look look at them and connect with them and that's why I think that's why people really adore you and want to come see you thank you but that's gynecology right that's our field I think not all fields of medicine are the same people go into things that are their strengths I would agree with you more of my strength is by far the people skill I enjoy talking I enjoy getting the story I, I like putting the puzzle together I want you to come back and see me you know what I mean I I'm sad if it's only once a year that I get to see a patient, although that's what I get to do. But I do. I enjoy I enjoy that talking at the table and getting to learn about somebody. I don't think I would have been good as a radiologist sitting in a dark room by myself. That would have been lost on me. But am I good at bench research? Am I going to be sitting and putting test tubes? That's definitely not my strength. And we first met, actually, because we worked not together, but we were we referred patients back and forth because you had your practice 
at the time at Beth Israel. Right. And that's how we met her. I remember you would, we'd, we'd see your patients for ultrasound and we'd speak back and forth. And I probably spoke to you on the phone and sent you reports for years before I actually ever met you. So I was downtown. I think I finished my residency in 2001. I was lucky enough to get hired. I stayed on as full-time faculty at Beth Israel at the time, and I got to work with some really amazing people. I mean, I loved my group so much. And a big referral group was here at MFM. And so we would send the patients to you and Andre and Salsman and the whole group. And it was it was easy. You know, you'd pick up the phone, you'd have a problem, you'd want to send the patients in. They always were taken quickly. And that's how we did first meet. So we would talk back and forth about patients. And then I was downtown, I think, for the first 15 years. And then I was looking for a change. And I remember calling up here and saying, hey, I'm looking if there's any opportunities for a little OBGYN. And that's how it started. Oh, that was fantastic. And our practice has has come together from a lot of different places. Obviously, there are roots at NYU. And then there was a lot of roots from Beth Israel. You trained at Beth Israel. Dr. Jennifer Lamb trained at Beth Israel. Andrea Barber trained at Beth Israel. Dan Saltzman was the chair at Beth Israel. And I actually was at Beth Israel as a voluntary. I was moonlighting and I would deliver Dr. Beth Gottlieb. Israel. Dr. Gottlieb, Gottlieb was at Beth there, Israel. Correct. So we had a lot of Beth Israel um, roots and our practice. It was a sweet little hospital, I have to say. A lot of good training that went down there. It was a good location for a lot of patients in pathology. It was it was a nice place to be. I, I mean, now we're up at Sinai, obviously. But for the NYU group, there was a group that pulled out of there. You can't get that far. The city is small. We end up all know each other. Like, we know each other. And so when you... When you're meeting with patients, whether it's for the first time, what would you say is your style with people? Are you more laid back? Are you more didactic where you sort of focus in on teaching? Or how do, how do you sort of interact with people or do you play it by each person's own needs? I've always kind of played it a little bit. When you first get up and you shake a hand and you introduce yourself to a patient, you can get a vibe off of somebody a little bit quickly. Not always, are you right? I always say, welcome to the office. We're so excited to have you here. And what brings you in? Is there something specific that you were hoping to you know, discuss? And I put a little bit of open-ended to the beginning because that's how it should be. I think, I, I don't know why you're here. I want you to tell me what brings you in the door. And then I try to bring everybody back in with some questions. I go through the same same thing with each patient so I never miss anything. Like I'll start with the same questions. And then I usually examine them after a little while, and then I bring them back into the office, and then we'll kind of finish it out. Some visits are just a regular checkup. They may be here for their annual. They may be really pretty easygoing. They may not need much. And others, you kind of have to do some work, do some tests, and then you bring them back again. But I would say I try to tailor it towards each patient's personality. Because right, I think that's that's part of the talent is to be able to at least try to read somebody and what exactly they, they need. Well, we don't always get it right, but to do your best because sometimes you can get a sense she needs more right? There's something, there's something else going on here. Or sometimes you get a sense, you know, she's just, she wants to get in and get out. She wants to get in and get out. Yeah. And to figure that out. She's got to get back to work. She just wants a birth control prescription. She just wants her regular pap smear. And, and those, you kind of, you follow their vibe. Others need a little bit more time. And then you, you play off of that. Some, some people want to talk more or need more of an exam, but I would say I try to, I try to do it, but patient by patient. Right. I think one of the things that facilitates that, which you mentioned, but didn't stress, and I think it, it's important to stress, is this idea when we meet patients as doctors, there's really, in the office, there's really two types of rooms we meet them in, other than, you know, in the hallway, right, the, wa- course, or the, in the hall waiting, waiting room. Right. What, one is the office where you're sitting at a desk, you know, on chairs, and the other is the exam room. 
And I think one of the things you mentioned sort of uh, quickly, because it's it's how you do things and how we do things is you speak to them in an office, then you examine them in an exam room, but then you come back to the office. And that was something I learned very early in my career that the exam room is a really not ideal place to discuss important a full conversation. Things. Right. That's not really where you right, want to talk. Right. Because it's a very uneven type of relationship because the patient is usually vulnerable. You know, un- yeah, she's undressed. Yeah. She's cold. She's, you know, I mean, physically cold, not emotionally cold. She's physically cold in the room and it's very uncomfortable and you're standing and she's sitting on a table. Right. You want eye to eye contact. You and want so, to take the time. Right. Yeah. And so I always say like, why don't you get dressed? Let's talk in my office. It'll be like a regular conversation. And people are usually much more able to open up to you. And also, if unfortunately you had to actually break some news to them that you found something, you see something, and you, it's much better to give them some time to process it, and then you can talk about it in a much more relaxed setting in the office rather than in the exam room. I couldn't agree more. And when I first started out, I think we didn't always have the opportunity to see the patient in the office, then bring them into the exam room, and then always bring them back to the office. It's tricky because, you know, in medicine, you ideally don't want to have to see so many patients, right? You'd like to be able to just spend infinite amount of time, but there are patients that you have to see. And so the part that we've tried to, I think, do well here is is that with our consults or our patients, we do try to sit down with them, take that few minutes of face-to-face contact, then we'll bring them in the room. And then I think all of us pretty much would like to bring them back into the office to spend some time, whether it is bad news or just to finish up that that talk that we're having. But I, I do. I don't like to talk to anybody in a gown. It just makes them uncomfortable. I think it makes it uncomfortable for me. And I also like being at the same eye level. I like sitting at the desk and being able to look at them. Right. And I, I think that that's something that people don't always realize that, yes, there's definitely constraints in how an office runs and flow and throughput is very complicated. And sometimes you'll find places where it's not possible. But these are the things that a lot of people won't even notice. And if every time you go to the doctor, you have to speak to him or her while you're half naked, that's not And ideal. I've done it. We've yeah, all done sure. it. I mean, I, I, I think my first five to 10 years in my job, we were very busy. And, you know, there were certain patients, of course, if you were a new patient, we always would bring you in and then try to get you back in that room. Reality-wise, it didn't always happen. And I think I'm so much happier now that I can try to schedule it or try to see the patients a little bit before and after. And I think they appreciate it. I do. I think they they think they notice it. Right. And I think an important lesson for our listeners is if you're not in our office and you do have something important to say, you can say, you know what, can we please talk about this in your office? I'd right. be more comfortable there. And, and you know, 99 out of 100 doctors would say, oh, of course, because they understand. And usually if they're not doing it, it's only because of time constraints. But that's something that you can ask for if it's going to make it more comfortable for you and give you a better opportunity to, to open up or to process or whatever it is. Correct. I think um, the patient has the voice and that they should be able to say, oh, I forgot to ask one thing. All right. I, I just need two more minutes. Can we go back in your office? Without a doubt. I mean, I've done it. and I've been a patient. You know, we've all been on the other side of it. It's interesting because this is a big topic in medicine in general. Do our doctors better if they've been through it? Meaning if a doctor has diabetes, are they better at treating people with diabetes? If someone is, you know, taking care of women, are they better if they're a woman themselves? And in in some regards, yes. In some regards, no. It just sort of, it's one of these things all people have their strengths and their weaknesses and their experiences that that bring, that are brought to the table when they take care of people. You know, when I I had my kids, 
or at least going through the process of, of, you know, seeing the doctor, you know, you know, every four weeks, every two weeks, every week. And yes, we do go to doctors as OBGYNs. I went for my regular checkups. I remember I had to get induced for one. I went into labor spontaneously with the other. I had an epidural. I know what that felt like. So I think it made me a little bit a better doctor because I can firsthanded say, I know what Pitocin feels like, or I know what an epidural, how you feel. So I can answer some of those little questions. Now, does it mean someone who's never had a, a, a child can't answer that? Absolutely not. Um, if you've never had kids, if you're a male, they're equally good physicians. I think it just uniquely made me more um, sensitive and able to answer questions that I didn't firsthand know. So I think it helped. I definitely think it helped me out a little bit. It also gives the opportunity to connect to patients. It just gives you one more thing that you may have in common with them. Patients are anxious. You know, they come in for their visits or at my stage in my life, you know, where I am age-wise, how to identify to a GYN patient or what it was like to take birth control, no birth control. You can pause and you could say, I've been there. I, okay, I get it. For patients who are anxious about a C-section, anxious about an epidural, you could tell them, anecdotally what it was and why you understand why they're anxious or what they should be less anxious about. Sure, it takes a little bit more time, you know, to talk to a patient when you put your own two cents in. You can vibe from a patient also when they need a little bit more and you can say, I've been there and I've done it and it makes them feel a little bit better. Right. So that was a great segue because now we are going to disclose personal. What do you do, Stephanie Lamb, when you're not doctoring in the office? What do you do in your spare time? I am the mother to two little kids. I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. I have a boy and a girl. I try as much of my free time to spend with them. I have two dogs. I have uh, an, a little old guy who's a beagle. He's a half beagle, half Boston Terrier, who is the love of my life. And then we uh, adopted from a rescue center about five years ago, Brewster, who's the second dog. And he's a part lab, a part Roddy. He's so sweet. My plug would be to adopt if I could. I, I think all dogs should be rescued. I play tennis. I play. I, I love tennis. If I could play it on the free time during during the summer, not so much during the winter, but that. And then I am married. It's a lot of spending time with friends and family if I can when I'm not working. One last thing before we wrap up for today. If you had to give advice to a woman who's going to be going to the gynecologist either for the first time or not for the first time at someone she's already been seeing or someone new, what advice would you give her in terms of where she should go, who she should see, how to find the right doctor? Because that's very complicated, obviously, for people in addition to just, you know, whatever insurance they're on or, or where they live. How would you advise someone, you know, a friend or a relative? I always believe in asking around. I think word of mouth is really important. Like if you have friends and family and someone whom, you know, had a really, really good experience with their OBGYN that means a lot because they are one of the most important people in your life, whether it's just a regular checkup or whether you're pregnant. I think do your research. I do believe in going, seeing what reviews look like, how people talk about the doctor. I get a little hesitant to use that as the benchmark because I think people sometimes can go online and just say anything nasty that they want because there's no repercussions. But in general, if someone has a lot of good reviews, I think that means something sometimes. I think sometimes you have to see a couple doctors before you find the right one. I do think if someone comes highly recommended, that's usually not a bad thing. So that's, I would say, where people start. When you walk into an office, you should look at the people who are sitting at the front desk because I think to some degree it's a reflection of, of that office. They should make eye contact. They should try to be kind. 
I think the doctor should be excited to see you. There should be an opportunity in the office for you to reach out or speak to somebody. You know, if you have questions, I mean, we are so lucky here that we have incredible nurses who pick up the phones during the day. We have a whole team dedicated to answering the phone. That's an unusual thing. I think if you can't get through to your doctor sometimes, that's hard. And you should get a card when you leave. And the doctor would say, if you have any issues, please feel free to you know call. I think that's what our goal here is. And we've been pretty good at it. Everything you said is absolutely correct. And one of the things you mentioned, which is important, is you're not stuck with the first person correct. you go to. If, if it doesn't work, if it's not a good... And, and that person could be a fantastic doctor, but if it's not a good match for you, try to find someone who is. This doctor might be the most important person in your life other than your family. For years. Yeah, for a long, long time. For years. When, when my wife was pregnant, her doctor... We were so close with him and we still are. And to have that relationship and we trusted him completely. And if we didn't, I can't imagine what it would have been like to go through pregnancy and gynecologic care and all these things. And it is, it's critical. And if, if you don't feel like you're getting that, maybe it's time to look for somebody else, either within the same group or in a different group, because it could just be a not a match in personality. Correct. It could be not a match in personality. And, and, you know, that being said, sometimes the first visit may not be perfect and that, or you may go to a group and one person you may not necessarily jive with, and that can be as well. But I have patients now doing this almost 20, 20 years, actually this year, who have followed me from downtown. I used to work down on 16th Street and little by little I've been creeping up and up and up and now here on 94th Street. Who This is as north as you're going. This is I'm not That's going it. any farther north. <laughs> this is forever. This is my forever home. But um, who've come up to 94th Street because they really, they love their gynecologist. I'm not saying that they love, you know, I, I like to think that they love me, but people will do this with any of their doctors. You know, if they find an OBGYN that they love, they'll stick with them. And that's the kind of relationship I think that you should have with the person who is taking care of something so intimate. It is a really intimate thing to take care of someone when they're pregnant, after they're pregnant, whether they're not pregnant or all the way through menopause and they go through their changes. You, you'd like to find someone who you get along with. And I think you meet somebody, you don't love them. You're not stuck with them. If someone likes somebody, it doesn't mean it's for you. You can change. But we here, um, yes, the three of us here in this office, but there's our other office location that does GYN as well. There's lots of lots of different people for lots of different personalities. Right. Well, I'm certain anyone who meets Stephanie Lamb will love her. I think it's impossible not to. Thank you, Nate. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for coming to the Healthful Woman podcast. Thank you, Stephanie, for joining us. Thank you, Nate. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.